you for bearing with me for a second. I wanted to just cover that right now. Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16, one of my, uh, it's not a pretty chapter. It's an ugly chapter. The events that happen in that unfold in this chapter are not positive. It's a, it's a uh, chapter of rebellion and then discipline and some weeping, you know, for sure. And so at the same time, there are so many lessons to be taken out of this. And I've preached from this chapter many times through the years. And so today we're going to look at it, you know, in its entirety within context of what's going on. I already read down through the first part of the chapter, the first third of the chapter or so, I think down through 17. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get into Numbers chapter 16 and the story of Korah. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask now your blessing on this time. May it be an opportunity for us to learn and grow together. Lord, this is a, a, a pivotal chapter uh, in the story of what's going on in the wilderness period as the nation of Israel are nomadic people. Lord, may we, may we see the, the, the belief, the reaction, the rebellion, the discipline, and all that went with that, the reaction to that. Lord, may we learn and grow from that as we navigate the issues of life today as well. We thank you. We ask all this in your precious name. Amen. I'm going to pick up with verse 18. Let me read a little bit more. Verse 18, number 16, verse 18, they took every man his censer. This is where we left off. They put fire in, they laid incense thereon, they stood in the door of the tabernacle of the congregation with Moses and Aaron. Now verse 19, Korah gathered all the congregation against them unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment." And they, that would be Moses and Aaron, they fell on their faces. They said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin? Wilt thou be wroth with the whole congregation? The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get ye up from about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Moses went up, rose up, and went unto Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him, and he spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you. From the tents of these wicked men, touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. And they got up from the tabernacle of Korah, Datham, and Abiram on every side. Dathan and Abiram came out. They stood in the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, their little children. Moses said, Hereby ye shall know the Lord has sent me to do these works, for I have not done them of mine own mind. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing and the earth open up her mouth and swallow them up with all the appertain unto them, if they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. It came to pass as he made an end of the speaking of all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them. The earth opened his mouth, swallowed them up, their houses and all the men that appertain unto Korah and all of their goods. We'll stop at the end there of verse number 32. We have Korah. And his followers, and he had 250, 250, and this is a congregation we know of about a million men, so it was a couple million people in the congregation of Israel here. And so Korah uh, and his 250 followers, and they, the Bible made it very clear, they were men of renown, 
Uh, they, they were men who had a position. They were well-respected. But they came up against Moses. And remember, we had just looked at this over the last couple of weeks. But they had just come to the point where they're not going to be allowed to go into the land. God brought them to the edge of the land. They sent the spies in. They listened to the report of the ten spies. They decided that they were concerned. They were scared. Uh, they didn't think they were qualified to go in. They hesitated. Because of that, God told them, okay, now, now you're not going in. And from that point forward, an, an additional 38 years or 40 years total, the nation of Israel is going to wander in the promised land. And so this is now their, their fate, right? They're stuck out there. God has told them only those under the age of 20, except for Joshua and Caleb, all those under the age of 20 are the only ones that are going to go in. Everybody over the age of 20 is going to perish out there in the wilderness. You're not, you're not going into the promised land. So um, just put that in perspective. Look at the uh, mindset of where they're at. They've left Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness. They were heading towards the promised land. Because of a lack of faith, they wouldn't go in. Now they can't go in to the promised land. And they've been told, you're going to die out here in the wilderness. You're never going into the promised land. Your children will go in. Your grandchildren will go in. You're not going in. And so I'm sure there is to some degree an amount of, uh, of anxiety, of despair, and so forth that is cast upon them. So Korah and these 250 men come up against Moses. And let me paraphrase, but they're saying to Moses, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Why do you think you're better than us? We are a holy congregation, they said. Why do you put yourself at a position over us? Who do you think you are? And Moses understands the heart condition of those that have come up against him, and he's concerned about it. And the Bible says he, he prays, he weeps, he's, he's lamenting their reaction to this because God put Moses in charge of the congregation. It wasn't voted on. This was not a democracy. God appointed Moses. He's, you're the leader. And we know that going all the way back to the burning bush and the, the ten plagues of Egypt and all that. Moses was the leader of the people, and the people were beginning to question that. They wanted new leadership, different leadership, more people in leadership, not just Moses leading the congregation. So Moses details, I read down through it, he's advising them to take a censer and get some incense and come before the Lord tomorrow, and the Lord will determine this. And as he outlines all of this, you notice, I'm glossing over it, but there were a couple, there were a couple of the Levites, the, uh, the Levites that uh, Moses asked to come to discuss this, and they refused to come. They wouldn't even listen to him. They were ignoring the authority that God had put in place over them. They wouldn't go. So Moses details the outline of what's going to happen here. We're going to separate ourselves, let God decide. And, and Moses, God gave him this information, didn't he, that the ground is going to open up. Moses seemed to know that ahead of time. God told him that ahead of time. I found that interesting as I was studying this. We don't see that anywhere else in Scripture. Right? Is this the only story that I know of where the ground really opened up and swallowed people up? This is a unique thing. It seems almost science fiction-y in our modern terminology. Right? There's some TV show I see when I'm watching a football game where the you know, ground opens up and people fall in. You know, that's that type of science fiction type of thing, but this is 
This is something Moses understood that God was going to do. How God was going to deal with these people that had stood up against the uh, leadership that God had ordained. And as they separate themselves, sure enough, it says the ground opened, it clave underneath them. And Korah and his followers and all that they had, their possessions, their families, perished with them. And the ground closed back up. A horrifying thing to witness, of course, a horrifying thing to, to think about, but it was the seriousness that God put upon his man, his leadership, his authority, his order. I, I wonder at what point, like it told us that just before that, the glory of the Lord appeared over the tabernacle. You think they began to question themselves then? You're like, uh oh, this isn't going to end well. And it didn't end well for them. They were questioning God, and God dealt with them in a very serious, very serious way. What I find interesting and what I have often preached are the verses that come right after that. Because I don't know about you, but if I'm part of the crowd that didn't rise up against Moses or didn't rebel against Moses, didn't question Moses, and when Moses said, get back, I got back, and the ground opened up, and those who had defied Moses and defied the authority that God had given, if they're gone, um, that would have left an impression on me for a long time, right? I mean, that would have put the fear of God in me for the rest of my life, I think. It took the rest of these 24 hours. 24 hours! I don't understand that, but... Verse 34... All Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them, lest the, Lord, lest, lest the earth swallow us up also. There came out fire from the Lord, consumed the 250 men that offered incense. The Lord spoke unto Moses. He said, speak unto Eleazar, the son of Aaron, that he take up the censers out of the burning and scatter thou the fire yonder, for they are hollowed. This ground is hollowed because of what, what happened. Verse 41 because of time, I'm just going to jump ahead a few verses. On the morrow, the, the next day, right? On the morrow, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, ye have killed the people of the Lord. What? I, I, you and I, 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 from our perspective, right? Hindsight's 2020. We're looking at this now thousands of years removed, looking back on this story, a story we're familiar with. Moses didn't make the earth open up, right? Moses was God's man appointed to do the job that God had called him to do, a very difficult job. The people rebelled against that. They wanted different leadership. Who do you think you are? Why do you take all this power upon yourself? Moses said, well, let God determine, and God certainly determined in a, in a, in a major, visible I'll dare say, horrific manner. It scared the people to death, so much so that 24 hours later, they seem to have forgotten about it. 24 hours later, they come running like, Moses, look what you did. And I would think, based on this, they know, they know the mindset would be, Moses, you could have stopped this. Moses, you could have prevented this. Moses, you know, God listens to you. You could have prevented this, but you let it happen. You let all those good people die. These were men of position and authority that died the day before. 
Look what happened, Moses. Look, they, they murmured and made it Moses's fault. Verse 42, it came to pass when the congregation was gathered against Moses and against Aaron, they, they looked toward the tabernacle of the congregation. Behold, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Get you up from among this congregation, that I may consume them as in a moment. That's the second time the Lord said that in this chapter, right? The Lord had threatened to do that earlier in chapter number 16. They, once again, same response, they fell upon their faces. In verse 46, a powerful verse, Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer, put fire therein from off the altar, put on incense, Go quickly unto the congregation, make an atonement for them, for there is wrath gone out from the Lord, and the plague has begun, like it's already started. Let's make atonement before the Lord. Let's try to save some of these people. Aaron took as Moses commanded. He ran into the midst of the congregation. Behold, the plague was begun among the people, and he put on incense, and he made atonement for them. He stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was Stayed. What a powerful verse in the events that were happening, but as God is just, his, his patience has waned on the Israelite people and their constant complaining, their constant questioning, their constant rebellion. And as they've come now and complained about what happened with Korah, God said, I'm going to, I'll start over, right? Moses, I'll start over with just you, you, know, you and Aaron, you know, your families, we'll start over. It didn't take too many from Abraham down to Jacob and Jacob's children to have a, a big congregation. He said, I'll start over. Moses, of course, listen, he's the leader of the people. And Moses, more than anyone, I think, epitomes that, that pastoral heart, that shepherd's heart. As Moses over and over again goes to the Lord on behalf of the people to pray God's mercy upon the people they're not praying for mercy. Isn't that interesting? Moses is praying for mercy. And Moses takes this, and again, we see Moses just having that, that heart for God. We saw just a couple weeks ago, God said, God said, I talk to others in visions, but I talk to my, my servant Moses face to face. And he had such a relationship with God that Moses is like, this is what we need to do. And he takes the incense from the altar and he gives it to Aaron. I, 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 why Aaron? I, I don't know, you know, but Aaron, maybe Aaron's more fit. Maybe he can run faster. Maybe he's more apt to do that. But he gives the incense there from the altar, gives it to Aaron. Aaron's the one that makes his way through the congregation. You can see, if you will, the plague beginning to spread this disease, this whatever that is killing people is beginning to spread, and Aaron's the one making his way through the congregation, trying to get from one side to the next, if you will. He's standing between the living and the dead, trying to save people and save families and save tribes, probably, I don't know, think of what's going on, the reality of that, uh, nomadic people probably splitting families as he's trying to save one who's dying to, from one who's still alive and not affected yet and weaving his way through and trying to get as quick as he can to the other side and he stands between the living and the dead and God stops the plague because of the act of Moses and of Aaron. 
powerful, powerful picture. Verse 49. Who, just a side note, a little Bible study here. Who, who do we know that wrote God allowed to write, literally write the, the book of Numbers? It would have been Moses, right? Moses journaled this. Moses kept track of this. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, inspired by God, Moses is writing this down. And Moses begins to write, I'm sure, late at night after all these events. Think of what happened. The earth opened yesterday and swallowed up people. Priest died. Kor and his followers died. The next day the people complained. More died because of the plague. Aaron ran out among the people, and Moses is now sitting down. If you will, I can see him now sitting there in his tent with some type of a writing instrument, but probably nothing more than a candle flickering at the end of two exhausting days. Talk about the stress of leadership. Two exhausting days, and he writes, They that died in the plague were 14,700, beside them that died about the matter of Korah. I always thought to myself, reading that, if I was writing it, wouldn't you write how many people you saved? It could have killed two million. But because of our quick action, we were able to save 1.89 million or whatever it comes out to. But he didn't. He knew exactly how many died. Not even the earth opening up the day before. He didn't even count that. This was just how many died that day. And I dare say, knowing the heart of Moses and seeing him throughout the entirety of these books and his life, I'm sure with a tear in his eye, he's writing down, Lord, we lost 14,700 today. 14,700 that rebelled, that complained, that didn't heed your warning, that didn't learn the lesson from yesterday. And as the leader, he's concerned about the ones that were lost, and he didn't in any braggadocious way talk about the ones that were saved or the ones that were spared, right? That would be the, be the humanistic thing to do. Well, it could have been a lot worse. No, no, no. He's heartbroken over those souls that were lost that day. Verse 50, Aaron returned unto Moses and to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and the plague was stayed. It seems to end on such a, I would think, I think you would agree, a sad note. Right? I mean, look what happened in chapter number 16. Core leaders in the group rebelled against the God-given authority and leadership that was given, and they perished because of it, and that lesson was not learned by the rest of the congregation, and so more people rebelled the next day, and more perished. Listen, if we're sitting here, as we are, in 2022, we're looking at that. That seems harsh, right? In 2022, we'd love to hear messages about loving God and how God loves. We don't like to hear about the fact that God hates sin, hates it, judges it. God is merciful and understanding, but God does not tolerate Man's rebellion and man's sin, and he may, he may deal with it like he did with Korah within a 24-hour period, but God is so often long-suffering 
and allows us ample opportunity to get things fixed and get things right, but God does judge sin. And we see that here. The theme of Numbers chapter 16 seems to be the position that God had for Moses and Aaron and the leadership position he put them in and the wrong reaction of the people towards those in leadership. So I wrote down some verses on that particular subject this morning. Hebrews 13, we're going to go back to the New Testament for all three of these. I have three references. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13 and verse number 17, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Listen, this is one of those messages that puts me in a unique position, right? You know this, I love to preach messages that motivate us to do, that motivate us to go, that motivate us to change. Here's a message that puts me, listen, on one side of this verse as a pastor, and you all on the other side of the verse. God's called called Pastor Wes Gunther to be the pastor of Cedar Hill Baptist Church. I, I, I know that, I believe that, I think you all know that, and you believe that. That means God's given me the responsibility someday of standing before him and giving an account for what has transpired in the time that God gave me while I'm here. I believe I have a responsibility, and all of us do, within our family, within the positions that we have as a dad, a responsibility and, and to give an account for the way I trained and raised my children and led my household. I think God holds me accountable for that. But there's an extra onus of responsibility that God has called me to be the bishop, the elder, the leader of this local assembly. And therefore, I have to give an account for that. And I have to stand before God and give an account for your souls. And then the verse, right, the responsibility there tells you all. May that person that's in rule, may they do it with joy and not with grief for be unprofitable for you if I had to do it with grief. God's blessed the ministry at Cedar Hill Baptist Church, and he's blessed the time that I've had here these almost 18 years. Somebody asked, I was at a, uh, a dinner yesterday, yesterday afternoon, a party yesterday afternoon, and someone said, how long have you been at that church? I said, it'll be 18 years next month. I'm like, there's no way. I'm like, tell me about it. I know. Every day I think, how is that possible? 18 years. God, God's given me the responsibility to give an account for your soul. That gives a great responsibility to me to be doing the work of the ministry, to be teaching and training and leading and directing. I can't just take it haphazardly. I can't just go through the motions. I have to be doing the work of the ministry, and then that responsibility there is for you all. If you've accepted the fact that Pastor Gunther is your pastor, and this is the church you're going to put yourself under the leadership of, then to pray for the church, and to pray for the direction of it, and to pray for the leader, and support the leader. I think God outlined the importance of that all the way back to Numbers and throughout the entirety of Scripture. Look at Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts, and what happens when they lied to the minister You know, God dealt with that in a, in a, 
in a very final and dramatic way. Very important, very important thing. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Um, here's a little uh, teaser for tonight. Ephesians chapter 4 is the passage I'm going to study tonight in our evening service. If you missed last Sunday night, you missed a really important Sunday night service. I'll be honest with you. It was really important. It was really important that, that you knew where I was coming from and, 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 and my goals moving forward, especially on Sunday nights. And Ephesians 4 is where I'm going to go. I'm going to follow up with that tonight in Ephesians chapter number 4. Verse 11, 12, and 13, I think, again, give the responsibility on me as the pastor. What's my job? What am I supposed to be doing? Ephesians 4, 11, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Those are some of the titles used in the local church, most of which we still use today. For what? For 12, for the perfecting of the saints. So I guess my job's done when you all are perfect. Help me out here, man. We, we all, we got a long way to go, right? We got a lot of work to do. The job's never done. We're not perfect before we stand before the Lord. But so the ministry there for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. We will be perfect when we're before him under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then verse 14, I'm, I'm going to start preaching tonight's message. Bear with me. Not literally, but I want to. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. Verse 14, do you think that's what happened with Korah and those leaders, right? It didn't just happen by accident. There was a night somewhere along the line when Korah and some of his leaders began to say, you know what the problem is around here, right? It's Moses. Moses is standing in the way. We could have been in that promised land, but Moses is preventing this. We need to change this. And they began to unify a plan and began to get together. They were carried about by every toss to and fro. I, I, at what point did they forget Moses and the power that God gave him and his rod as they turned the water to blood in Egypt and the plague of frogs and lice and locusts and all this stuff came. As they walked across the Red Sea on solid ground and then saw, very similar to number 16, they saw the Egyptian army swallowed up in the Red Sea, didn't they? As it closed very quickly, much like the earth did in number 16, God swallowed them up. They saw that. It seems impossible. Listen, I'm going to turn this around on us. It seems impossible that Korah and his men could get up, sit around, eat manna that fell out of the sky, and while they're eating it, complain about Moses and what he did to get him out here. And yet we do that. We have a tendency to gripe and complain and moan and groan and I don't know why the Lord's doing this, or I don't know why this is happening, or what about that, and why can't this happen? And I, not that, listen, listen to me. If you're visiting with us today, or if you've been part of Cedar Hill the last 18 years I've been here, the congregation at Cedar Hill has always been supportive of their pastor. Always been supportive of the pastor. But listen, 
there's a lesson here. We better guard ourselves and be careful lest we start to gripe or complain or cause discontent or cause a problem. This is what happens. God's called the pastor to give an account. And if we can't submit and understand and agree with the leadership of those that God's put in authority over us, then go somewhere where you can. And don't cause a fit on the way out, right? Don't, you know, that, that's, that's always been my motto, you know, don't do that. Look at what David did when Saul was chasing him around. And I'm not going to turn to all the references this morning. But we know for almost 20 years, David had to run for his life before King Saul. From the time that he killed Goliath until David became king is about a 20-year period of time. And Saul was trying to kill him the entire time because he was scared for his own power, his own throne, his own everything. And over and over again, opportunities came up for David to take care of Saul. And he didn't do it. Remember the one time in the cave, he even cut off the hem of his garment. And then he, he repented of that. He said, I shouldn't have done that. When the end of the story came around and Saul was finally killed, they had that battle with the Philistines and there was all the issues with that. Saul's wounded and one of his men finishes Saul off, kills him, and takes that good news to David, right? David, David, guess what? I finished off Saul. How did David respond to that? David had that man killed. How dare you raise your hand against God's anointed? Be very careful with that. So, listen, I'm talking obviously from a perspective that makes me very uncomfortable. But listen, it has always been my position and my, my understanding and my direction from the time that I was a young person. I will always support the person that God has put in authority over me. I never question that. If there's a problem, if there's a doctrinal problem, then I need to move away. I need to get out of that. But I better support them as long as I am there. We see the problem when they didn't do that. Korah and his followers didn't do that. Listen, that, we're preaching through numbers in order. That's the message of the day. I think we need to cover that, the importance of that, the importance of God-given authority I do think in 2022, we've become so lax in authority. We've, and and listen, some of it is um, uh, instigated by the fact that authority has let us down. We look at our politicians, you know, I'm not getting into a political speech, but my wife and I were talking yesterday. We have candidate A, candidate B. I don't really like either one of them, you know? I'm not really thrilled about any of the options I have here. What am I going to do, you know? And so we don't don't trust them. We don't believe them. We've been let down and we've been lied to. And so our, our understanding of our political authority begins to erode. And we don't trust it. Maybe we've been let down in our family. Maybe our... Uh, our dad or our husband or someone in our family has, has hurt us, disappointed us, cost us. And so our faith in that system that God ordained is shaken. Maybe you've been in a church where your pastor or your leader has done wrong, has done some bad things. 
And so your trust begins to wane. I think we're at a point in 2022 where the Christians in America don't look at authority the way that they're supposed to. God ordained it. God put that order in place. He put government in place. He put church leadership in place. He put authority in the home in place for a reason. And those that are in authority have to give an account. May they be able to do it with joy. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time we've had today. Lord, it was a, a, a tougher message, but Lord, one that is clearly in the, in the annals of Scripture there and covered throughout from beginning to end. So Lord, may we, may we take that to heart and understand the importance of the authority that you've given to us if within our Christian lives. Lord, we thank you for these lessons, Lord, we thank you for these examples of people like Moses. Lord, people who, who, who just... Um, uh, referred back to you, uh, who didn't um, act in a belligerent manner or uh, an obnoxious manner, but just left it in your hands, let you deal with it, and then at the end of the day, cried tears of grief as they accounted for those that were lost, that didn't accept, that didn't believe, that didn't by faith follow through. Lord, may we have that type of heart reaction as well. Lord, we thank you for this time that we've had today. Lord, it's, it's, it's good to be in your house, and Lord, we thank you so much for those that have come, many that have visited or are visiting for the first time today. Lord, I thank you. Lord, they, they, heard, they heard a message that was, was very pointed today. Lord, I pray that they understand uh, the, the importance of preaching the full context of the Word of God. Lord, you're a loving God who loves us so much, you offered your son Jesus Christ to die on our behalf, that our sins may be washed away, that we can stand before you in the righteousness of Christ. Lord, you've loved us so much. And yet, Lord, you have, you have limitations on your patience when it comes to sin, when it comes to rebellion. Lord, we need to be able to cover both sides of that. Lord, thank you for the time that we've had today. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. Lord, we ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Our last song, Anywhere with Jesus.